putting their money where their mouth is in terms of, uh, you know, a, a charity about domestic violence or, you know, uh, an awareness campaign or any number of other things. And it's, it's a nice rotational swing. There's a little bit of law. You can buy into it. Somebody's got to throw these innings, don't they? Yeah, we're talking about the Jays not having a starter for tomorrow. They don't have a starter ever. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 112 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we can't ignore the fact that this team is still playing, but we're going to try. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I'm joined, as per usual, by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah, clearly not watching that uh, series in Oakland then. Um, well, it's over. <laughs> it's over. That's why it's good. Uh, we're going to talk about trades, mostly. Uh, the ones that have already been made for Roberto Osuna, John Axford, Aaron Loop, and the ones that might still get made for Tyler Clippard, Curtis Granderson, Marco Estrada, Josh Donaldson, as well. Uh, props to Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who did a good thing and then had a bad thing happen to him. And, of course, did lack... Of, uh, of roster spots filled by quality major leaguers at the moment, which is, is causing a bit of a problem on the pitching side for the Blue Jays. Uh, of course, we have an interview with uh, Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus talking about the return in those trades. And we have Gold Star to hand out, and we have a whole bunch of your questions. So, without further ado, uh, we're going to have to talk about the, I guess, the most difficult to talk about trade, the Roberto Osuna trade. Roberto Osuna is a Houston Astro, which I, the irony of that is that they are an organization with a zero-tolerance policy for misbehavior. Yeah, so zero-tolerance only if it happens while well in the organization, I guess. That's uh, yeah, literally was, what they said, yes. yes. Which is just ridiculous. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, we, uh, the logic I mean, of that is not... Clearly, there's a lot of disingenuity when... Is that the right word? I think so. Disingenuousness. Um, yeah, whatever. No, India is not ingenuity, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm not I'm not a writer apparently. But uh, there's a, there's a lot of this going around when it comes to talking about Roberto Osuna. It came from Ross Atkins before when he's like, oh, yeah, it's like you know he's our closer and there's no reason for him not to be. And then now it's coming from Lunau in in Houston, same kind of thing. It's like you know zero tolerance policy, but not really. It's just it's just ridiculous. Well, I. I think it's the the dishonesty that that is that's there. the word I wanted. There you go. Um, <laughs> it it is frankly just dishonest, and it would be easier, I think, if teams uh, as as hard as this is to believe they they are although they are run by people they are businesses and they are only those people are only employed to make decisions that are good for the business. However, they see that and. Roberto Osuna was bad for business in Toronto and in Houston, they're going to overlook the bad for business part. And they're, or, you know, th that aspect of it isn't so bad for them because they need to win games. And if the blue Jays were in the Astros position in the standings, I would bet that, that there would be a way to find redemption for Roberto Osuna because it would be good for business. It's, it's very callous, but I think expecting organizations or baseball teams to behave like good citizens is overly optimistic. Yeah, I mean, it's just not going to happen to, <laughs> to for a more succinct way. It's you're right. Like it, there's 
they're they're driven by very specific things and morality just isn't one of them whether it should be obviously you know we it should you know, moral, morals it'd be nice if they did play a part but it's just not the realistic aspect of it so at the same time though this is kind of where it'd be nice if I think I mentioned this before with the, you know, like when the Royals were talking about signing Luke Heimlich, which didn't happen, thankfully. But just come on and say it. It's like, you know what? Osuna's going to help us win. And we accept that he's got some baggage and we're going to deal with it. Yeah. Full stop. And and I think there's a lot of fear about the blowback in terms of, again, the business is is sometimes you're worried about your season ticket holders or you're worried about a protest or, you know, the optics of something rather than the actual real people hurt by these decisions that you're making. So right now, Roberto Osuna's punishment for uh, a potentially domestic violence and, and hurting someone who he knows intimately is to pitch in a pennant race. Yeah, to, yeah, to pitch in a pennant race in what's it? area that's actually much closer to where he grew up but you know and the other thing too like if you're going to talk this way as the, as the Astros did and the Jays did at least you know walk the walk too in terms of a you know victim outreach and doing something to at least better the situation publicly I, I suppose it just it's, it's just all words right now it's kind of ridiculous yeah as much um th- there could be a business case to be made for putting their money where their mouth is in terms of uh, you know, a, a charity about domestic violence or, you know, uh, an awareness campaign or any number of other things. And they've done none of that on either side of, of, of things because maybe they feel like they're reaching past their mandate. I don't know. But but it would be it would be nice. Yeah, you're right to see someone go above and beyond here to try and make to try and make a human decision, not a business decision. Yeah. So I guess now that we've <clears throat> discussed, obviously, which is the major part of that trade from the non-baseball side, there is a baseball aspect to it, and I think we have to discuss that as well. So the Blue Jays I got back sh- Ken yeah, Giles, uh, which, oh, I, I should have had that audio already queued up to embarrass you. Maybe we'll do that after the interview. <laughs> <It's a dual. laughs> sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll save this, and I'll save my half-hearted defense because it's pretty funny. But, you know, it's not just Giles, right? They got Giles and two guys who could be pretty good versions. Yeah, again, we're going to talk about this with Jeff Padanostro, but three guys that could have pretty good value. And I'm shocked that they got this kind of return, considering Roberto Osuna's trial hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, I, I mean, Roberto is a is a toxic asset who might actually get more toxic from a baseball perspective and and more difficult to deal with. I'm surprised too. I'm surprised that it wasn't a straight one for one. Um, and I don't understand the Astros point of view on that because you would have to think they, they weren't going to think that the Jays would just sit with him if there was a, any deal on the table that was legit. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's really hard to say, to say exactly what they would have done, but this is a very legit deal. Yeah. It's it's almost like they just they traded a a closer they were having personal problems with with management etc. Um, and another guy with a, uh, who had had a PED suspension two, you know, uncomfortable stories for an, another uncomfortable story and said, well, that's that's probably fair that you're taking some of our baggage and we're taking some of yours and uh, you know let's shake on it, which is just the weirdest thing. 
yeah, it's a very confusing thing. But just from the, from the baseball side, Ken Giles has been very, very good. This year he is has not been. I mean, it's like he's giving up more hits. He's not walking as many people. He's not striking out as many. Harder contact. Everything about it has just been a bad season. And I think it was Eno Saris that pointed out that uh, it's been a, because of a step back in his slider. So that's fixable, right? I mean, it's like he's had this pitch his whole career, and it's just gotten a little weird this year. If they just change his grip and fix it, he can go back to being a dominant reliever who you could trade for what you probably could have traded Roberto Osuna for, maybe. And if he keeps his you know attitude in check and doesn't end up getting you know bounced down to the minors because he had a conflict with the organization, all the better, right? Yeah, and you know, like he okay, the timing of it was after he blew up and had had his issues when he's punching himself and getting mad at the manager, but he was also pitching poorly. So it if he was pitching the way he did in 2017 or 2014 or 15 or even probably 2016, he doesn't get sent down. Yeah. So again, we have a, a somewhat disingenuous decision perhaps made by management, made easier by him doing things like punching himself in the face. Yeah. So potentially really he could be really useful <laughs> okay should we go to the non-controversial trades oh it depends what you think of aaron loop but sure <laughs> <laughs> i think i think he has a funky sidearm delivery that doesn't really do all the things it used to do um john axford who has become you know one of those have have suitcase will find new uniform sort of pitchers uh now um you you know, it's fun having Canadian on the team. Did he get a real return? I mean, again, I guess it depends on what you think of a real return should be. And we're going to discuss in depth, but a potential major league reliever for, you know, John Axford, who's been okay this year. He hasn't been bad by any stretch, but he hasn't been amazing. And for two months of John Axford on a team that's going nowhere as he's a pending free agent, I think that's a pretty good return. I would agree. I would agree. Real assets, you know, and and again, the word lottery ticket has not come up a lot with the kind of return the Jays got in these trades, which in the past has been something that tends to be, you know, that's all that there's there was out there. So there was certainly demand for these arms. Yeah, and Aaron Luke brought back Jacob Wagaspack. I don't know how to say his name properly. Wagspack. It could be anything, but. Same kind of thing, right? A guy who has some stuff and could be a reliever in the big leagues. And the biggest difference, as you said, as you alluded to there, it's like these guys, Copping and Wagusback, are in AAA. Well, they just, the Jays just said Copping to AA, but they're in the upper minors. They're not, oh, this guy, we're going to pull some guy with a big arm from rookie ball, like when the Jays traded uh, Hansel Rodriguez to the for Melvin Upton. These are guys that you can tell what they're going to be, and that's I think that's pretty valuable. Yeah, and, and with, uh, well, does that almost segue into our wonderful conversation about the fact that there is nobody to pitch right now? <laughs> yeah, because there's nobody to pitch right now. Uh, they really box themselves into a corner. As as I as we talk, now I don't know if it's been announced, but it's 9-10 on uh, Wednesday night, and there is no starter for Thursday. Yeah, the guy they wanted to start, his name is Brandon Compton. If you haven't heard of that name before a couple of days ago, don't worry, we hadn't either. <laughs> he was playing in the independent leagues and mm. not even pitching that well in the independent league. So I don't really understand. But he was brought in and he was brought up. He was supposed to start Thursday, but they needed him to pitch in the bullpen on Tuesday. And 
I don't know who's going to pitch because Jaime Garcia got shelled in that game too. It's it's a little bit absurd. And we we did sort of see this coming, right? I mean, they traded four pitchers, five, no, four. Sanuano, Aaron Loop, John Axford, and Jay Happ. When you trade four guys from your 40-man roster – your, your, your best, 25 man roster your best four guys also because <laughs> yeah are the exactly guys people want exactly so you, you trade all those guys you're going to be left with a bit of a vacuum and so it spent warnings for louis santos and this random appearance from brandon compton i don't really understand that one thing that really puzzled me though the jays called up darnell sweeney who's another outfielder like why did what sorry my yeah might cut up there but uh why do they need another outfielder they've already they've still got Granderson Grichuk Hernandez and Dwight Smith on the roster plus Brandon Drury who could play out there I don't understand why they didn't add another pitcher especially like you know if they, it's not even a forty man thing because Sweeney wasn't on it they could have called up Nick Tepish or something like that I yeah it's clearly this is a team just floating in the wind somewhere and it's it's. It's a little bit sad, and they're losing games like they're floating in the wind somewhere. They had a, I, I just touched on it briefly. They had a closed door meeting. And I was, in my mind, it's like it's all well and good to have a closed door meeting when there's something, you know, to play for or whatever else. But what are you hoping to accomplish as a team when clearly you've just been gutted out? It's like, yeah, all you're going to say is go out there and play every day because you have to play the rest of the schedule. That's. I wonder if some there? of that was. Yeah, I wonder if someone's related to the trade deadline and just rumors and guys leaving and stuff like that. Maybe. Because because you're right. It's like to basically what you just said is what Tulowitzki said. It's like go out, play with some pride, you know, try play hard and try to finish the season as best you can. That that doesn't take thirty minutes. <laughs> no, actually it took <laughs> uh well, seventeen seconds, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so there are those guys who are still there who were in on that meeting and, and you had uh you had itemized them for me earlier, uh, Tyler Kleppard. Curtis Granderson, Marco Estrada, and Josh Donaldson, who are, for one reason or another, not nearly as valuable to teams, um, you know, pre-trade deadline. But now there's the post-waiver trade period. So these guys would still be playoff eligible, but now they can, they're eligible to be claimed on waivers before they pass to uh, any particular team. Yeah, and for some of those guys, it's going to be easier than others. I think... Marco Estrada will definitely clear waivers because he still has a decent amount of money left coming to him. He's signed for $13 million, and you know, so a third of that. And then Donaldson, I think, will probably have a good chance to clear waivers because they can put him on as soon as he starts a rehab assignment. And I don't think any team's going to risk taking on the $10 million left owed to him without seeing him play. Yeah, it, the Donaldson has become a real question mark from a guy who is super reliable. So... Yeah, I don't think anybody's just going to try and snag him and and try and work out a trade and then be left holding the bag. Yeah, I do think that there's the, the, the counter to that, though, and I'm just countering the thing I just said, is that teams probably know the Jays won't just let Donaldson go because it doesn't make sense from a value proposition for them. Because if, if they can't work out a good trade for Donaldson, it makes more sense to keep him and get at least a second-round pick. Well, yeah, because he's definitely getting a qualifying offer. Right. There's no planet on which he doesn't deserve and get a qualifying offer uh, so the Jays can at least get something back for him when he goes. Right, exactly. So that's the only way I could see that a team a team would claim him on waivers. As for Granderson and Clipper, both of them were traded in August last year, so there's a real good chance they could happen again. 
Yeah, it's it does seem to be quite the merry-go-round this year in baseball. I, there were a ton of trades, not just with the Blue Jays. Like everybody was moving people with these teams that are really tanking and weren't trying for you know anything from the beginning. There there was a, a lot on the market. It, this was the busiest trade deadline I've I've ever seen. I I can't remember so many moves and so many moves involving notable players. Yeah, R- real name players who are not you know. Oh well, he's in the last two years of his career, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer one day. He's got a no. These these are guys who are still relatively close to their primes, right? And this is, I mean, the fact we're talking about the Jays still having three to four guys to trade, and they made four trades. Yeah, no, well, five trades. Five trades. <laughs> We've never seen, and we talked about this last week. We really haven't seen the Blue Jays in a in a true uh, tear down and rebuild where they actually had something of value. Yeah, and actually, if you go back to Steve Pierce, it's six. So the Jays have traded six guys in the last month. And we're talking about them still having some left. That's what this deadline was like. There's just so many pieces moving. And now there's buckets of prospects, which is what we're going to discuss in a few minutes. Uh, but we would be remiss if we did not talk about the one young player who is doing the right thing on the field, uh, Lord Escuriel Jr. He set a record. Well, I mean, he was doing the right thing up until the very last second there, but <laughs> when he did the wrong thing and he busted himself up, so yeah. I mean, but we we talked about last podcast and record this. He was one game away from tying the Blue Jays' record for consecutive two games, two two hit or more games, and he shattered it. The record was nine, and he got to eleven before getting injured. It's still going technically. Yeah, and that eleven is the American League record. Yeah, and then Tony Perez, I think, got to 13. I think, I think that was the most. And he's the only guy who's I, I read that has done it in the last 50 years or something. And, you know, I mean, Lourdes Gurriel, since coming back up to the big leagues on July 2nd, he has been amazing. I mean, he's run away for the Blue Jays player of the month, and I think he's got a really strong case for the MLB rookie of the month. He hit 423 with a 438 on base and a 648 slugging in July. Yeah, that's insane. Like, I don't know where those numbers came from. Could it really be just a one-time fluke? I, Yes, it's a small sample. But it, it seems like now would be the time when, when teams would really be able to take advantage of any holes that they found in his swing. Because he has, you know, has some big league scouting reports out on him. I, I think there's some of the, I don't want to call it Kevin Plower, maybe the Devin Travis worry in there because he doesn't walk so he's going to go through stretches where he's not that good i mean entering play on july 2nd he was hitting 224 with a 244 on base and a 355 slugging which is terrible he you know, he raised his ops 250 points in a month yeah those so are bonkers numbers Right, exactly. So it was an incredible hot streak, and I think he's going to have those. But I also think there will be some cold spells because he swings all the time. And it's not like Pilar so much where he swings at everything out of the zone. It's just he swings early and counts and hits the ball and puts it in play. Which can be a – you know, there used to be a lot of players like that. And mm-hmm. the league's gotten away from it because that's not where the value is. If you can get a little more loft on the ball and miss it a little more often, well, it goes a lot further. So – I think the the other thing that sort of is eye popping maybe is that Gurriel's profile isn't something you see, you know, maybe Jose Altuve. Sure, Altuve walks a bit more, but yeah. But a guy who regularly puts the bat on the ball is it's just not something that that the league 
showcases anymore. There's no Marco Scuderos around. Yeah, and especially guys that put the bat on the ball and put it in play. Mookie Betts is actually one of those guys. But in general, there are not a lot of them. And so it's interesting to see Gurriel doing this and then succeeding doing it in this path month because if he can keep, you know, keep up this level of contact and hard contact, he's not likely to have horrible, you know, Randall Gritchuk early season type spells, right? Yeah. Because the ball is in play, eventually, they're, occasionally they're going to fall for hits. Yeah. So, of course, we alluded to that injury. It is a two to six week sprain of both the knee and the ankle, to my understanding. It's a, yeah, I think it was a contusion of the knee and a sprain of the ankle. It's like a two for one. Yeah. And, you know, he it was a stupid play. I don't know if you saw it. Uh, I My understanding was it was really unnecessary if you were going to go by, you know, stupid. <laughs> but no. Oh, it, abso- it. It, abso- it absolutely was unnecessary. So in the ninth inning of their game against the White Sox, which they were winning at the time six to three, I believe. It might have been seven to four. They were up, they were up by three runs. And he got his third hit of the day to drive in a run, to make it a three-run lead. And he went to second on the throw home. Fine. You know, that's aggressive base running. But then with the game essentially over, in a meaningless game for both teams, he tried to dodge the tag at second base awkwardly and then fell and hurt his knee and ankle. And it was just oh, like, can anything get more 2018 Blue Jays than that? Probably not. I think that was the moment that encapsulates this whole season where if one tiny little thing is going perfectly, that's the thing that's going to be targeted. Absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, it looked a lot worse at the time. Sorry, you were about to throw to the interview, but it looked like he was going to be out for months. But at least it's only two to six weeks right now. I say right now because it's the Blue Jays. Yeah, Troy Tulowitzki's still on that one-month rehab program. And apparently he's uh, not just a figment of our imagination. That said, uh, we will go to that interview that you were doing that I would throw to. We're going to talk about all those names that came back, that word salad that is now in the Blue Jays minor league system. We're going to do it with uh, Jeff Paternostro from Baseball Prospectus in about, oh, I don't know, a few seconds. And we are pleased to be joined tonight by the very, very busy... Mr. Jeffrey Paternostro of Baseball Prospectus, welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars. Let's go over some relief prospects. Yes, I have untangled <laughs> my tongue, and uh, and I can now attempt to say a whole bunch of names in a row. No, I'm not even going to try and say them in a row. I feel like, have you ever felt like a substitute teacher where there's just a list of names in front of you and you hope they actually, that people are being honest, that they line up with the real I faces? Mean- from July 29th to August 2nd, most years, this is my life. So, all right. So, welcome I to can, your new, I can appreciate that. Yeah. Your new substitute teaching gig. Um, so, the first name that the Blue Jays acquired that I'm, I'm going to throw out there as a, as a guy is Hector Perez. Sure. So, um, I will do my, my standard caveat here, which is whatever feelings I have on the specifics of this trade. And you can feel however you like. I encourage everyone to read Rachel McDaniel's transaction analysis on it at the Baseball Prospectus Mothership. And that, I think, accurately reflects my feelings on it. But we should talk about the prospects. And Hector Perez is like a it was a fringe top 10 guy for the Astros last year. 
I think sort of played to that in in 2018. You know, it's a it's a big righty with a big fastball and a guy that's probably best suited for relief long term. It's like a, you know, it's like a fastball slider guy with command issues. You know, a dude that could be similar to Ken Giles, who the Blue Jays also got back in this trade. Um, the question with him is always going to be, is he going to throw enough strikes to have a consistent role in the majors? And I think probably. Um, you can't really argue with the raw stuff here. You know, he's probably a, a year away. You know, Houston was still using him mostly as a rotation piggyback guy this year in the minors. I don't know exactly what the Jays will do with him going forward. I'm sure we'll find out in the next month or so. But um, I think he was probably the. I mean, he's very similar to David Paulino. So they got. I mean, they essentially essentially got three guys with a chance to be Roberto Osuna for Roberto Osuna, and you can unpack that however you want. But you know, Perez is a guy that's a little bit further away. Obviously, Giles is already a major league reliever. Paulino is on the cusp of that. Perez is the guy that's you know split time this year between advanced day in the Carolina league and double a in the Texas league. But ultimately we'll probably fit into that sort of late inning role for the blue Jays down the road. So obviously that's not a bad return considering the circumstances. Yeah, I don't, I can. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll, 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 we're going to just, we will have discussed this in our other part, but uh, yeah. In uh, a vacuum. Yes. Now, the question I have is, is there any chance, any reasonable chance that either of them is a starter in the big leagues? Obviously not Giles, but Perez or Paulino? Yeah, I mean, so the short answer here is no. (laughs) Um, Paulino especially, and he's had kind of a, you know, checkered career in recent years. He's never really stayed healthy. He has a recent PED suspension. You know, the stuff obviously is is bat-missing quality stuff. You know, we ranked him as a top 101 guy before the 2017 season and before, you know, before that was a PED year for him. And it's just like, even, even when we were ranking him as a top 101 guy, there were injury caveats. And I think there's still, you know, injury caveats there 18 months later. And it's just like, He's always felt like one of those guys you just let loose in the pen and see what you have. And I think that's probably the case here. Perez is the guy that's you know primarily been a starter for most of his minor league career. And he's a guy that in broad terms is one of those classes of, you know, mid-rotation starter or relief outcome that broadly speaking when i sit down to do a a top 101 long list as i will do in a couple months will be somewhere between 75 and 200 on the list but because of i think the high risk relief outcome here is probably closer to 275 and there are guys that i think are relievers that are closer to 75 than 200 it's a continuum uh, and the difference between 75 and 200 in a lot of ways is sort of more compact than the difference between 75 and 25. Just sort of the way uh, talent is distributed, you know, sort of major league talent is distributed in the minors that I found. 
you know, it's, it is kind of close to that sort of sort of bell curve shape where it gets very compressed towards the top of it. But, you know, are, did they get a starting pitcher back for Robert Asuna? I don't think so. Is it impossible that one of these dudes develops enough change up or command to start for a little bit? No, that's, that's sort of baked into how we do our rankings. And it does, uh, it does for me at least not reach the realm of impossibility. Like there are some dudes I'm just like, like, do I think Perez and Polino are relievers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I will rank them accordingly in the off season, but I've been wrong about these things before and I'll be wrong about these things in the future. Well, that, Fair enough. Yeah, the other caveat. Uh, okay, so moving on to my favorite name of all the names. Well, maybe my second favorite. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce my favorite. Uh, Forrest Wall. Uh, he came yeah. for uh, Sung Hong Oh, and now he's where does he slot into the system? So Forrest Wall is a fun little ranking exercise for me. A When he was drafted out of high school in a year in 2014 he was considered to be one of the best as like a bat goes pure prep bat in the class and even then like i believe he had arm issues he was like a high school shortstop but everybody's a shortstop in high school as the old saying goes and some scouts thought he fit better in second some scouts thought he fit better in center you know he's obviously converted to the outfield within the rocky system and like look if you want to sit open side and watch Forrest Wall swing a bat down the third baseline during BP or during games, it's very, very pretty. Like, it's just nice to look at. It's rotational. There's a little bit of power there. There's natural bat to ball. It's everything you're looking for when you're thinking about taking a you know prep, back, prep bat in the first round of the draft. It's a good body, good frame. He runs well. He's like a six borderline seven runner if you get him going down the line. And if I thought for sure he was a slam dunk center fielder, I could tell you pretty convincingly right now I thought he was a top 10 prospect in the Blue Jays system, which is a you know, an above average system, I think, top to bottom right now. And yes, a lot of that is Vladimir Guerrero and Boba will carry some weight there. But I think there's like interesting dudes up and down that system. You know, and Forrest Wall certainly fits in that in that range of like, I don't know, eight to fifteen, somewhere in that system, just sort of spitballing it. And trust me, it's August first. I have not even started thinking about this yet. Thirty days from now? Yeah, I will have a much firmer opinion on where Forrest Wall waits and uh, ranks in the system. And I've seen him a few more times. I saw him a fair bit in Hartford before the trade. Um, the problem with Wall is if he's not a center fielder, the arms like below average enough and have to move to left. And that just puts a lot of pressure on the bat. And he's a tough guy to evaluate in a vacuum because you're going to see him in Asheville, which is a 290-foot right field porch you're going to see him in I think it's Lancaster now which is a launching pad you're going to see him in Hartford which is the best eastern league park to hit in by our sort of internal park factors both left side and right side it's a band box they drop it in the middle of downtown I know that area well um, 
know, and then he goes to New Hampshire, where that left field, that right field porch is pretty inviting. I've seen a fair amount of games there over the last six, seven years, and it it's just a jet stream out of there. Um, so if you believe in the power spike, and the power spike, if you look at it this year, is not specifically like a home road split thing. And it's it's a nice rotational swing. There's a little bit of loft. You can buy into it. And if you think he's a center fielder, well, okay. That's then an above-average regular. If you don't think he's going to stick in center, and despite his speed, the roots aren't great, the first step isn't great, you know, he's not a natural outfielder. He's a dude that was an infielder in high school. You put that profile in left field, it gets a little trickier. Now you're getting into, like, what we like to call the tweener range. Is there really enough power for a corner spot? Right. I don't know yet. So I don't know yet. Um, I think it's a a good return, certainly. Um, the Rockies have a very deep system, and they have a, they could certainly afford to part with Forrest Wall, given that they can't find outfield spots right now for David Dahl or Ramil Tapia. So I think it was sort of a, a good trade for both sides. And now the Blue Jays, who don't really have a, a sure fit of outfield prospects right now, get a get a nice one with a little bit of upside. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly sounds nice, especially when you're talking about trading a relief pitcher who hmm. when they took a flyer on after he failed a physical to start the season. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess transitioning to the guy that everyone thought and knew was going to be traded was Jay Happ, and people hmm. were really looking forward to the turn. And Brandon Drury, the major leaguer, and Billy McKinney, yeah. that surprised yeah. a lot of people. So it's interesting to me because I, I made this joke on Twitter where Brandon Drury goes from a team where he was immediately sort of forced out by high-end second base and third base prospects to a team where he will be probably fairly quickly <laughs> forced out by second base and third base prospects. Like, you want to play Boba Shed at shortstop? Fine. You know, Drury can obviously play third. Uh, you can play, play a little bit of corner outfield. He's a useful player generally. You know, for a half season of J.A. Happ, did they get um, equivalent value? I think they did pretty well. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brandon Drury is a quality major league player. You know, it, he's like sort of the quintessential role five, where it's like he can start when you're on a second division team. He's a very useful sort of. You know, guy that can play five or six positions on your bench, 400 at bat guy on a first division team. Um, you know, how quickly the Blue Jays plan on transitioning between second division and first division, I don't know yet. Sure. It's certainly a conversation to be had, and I'm sure we'll come up when we talk about Vlad. But you All know, right. for a half season of J.A. Happ, yeah, sure, absolutely. And Billy McKinney is never a guy I've liked, but it's a former first round pick. It's a swing change guy. Could you certainly you know, find something there as a bench borderline starting outfielder for a couple of seasons, it's entirely possible. I don't buy it, but I haven't scouted him extensively over the last couple of years. And I've heard wildly varying things on him uh, during that time period. So again, it's a half season of J.A. Happ. Let's not... (laughs) Not even a half season. No, not even a half season. Two months. Sorry, 12 (laughs) starts. It's 12 starts of J.A. Happ. Yeah. yeah, you you can't get every, you can't get the moon for for twelve starts of J. Happ, who uh, yeah is not perfect in and of himself. So I'm gonna lump the the next four guys in together here because 
I'm not sure that any of them are even as good as the Billy McKinney uh, faint praise that you just handed out. Santiago yeah. Espinal, uh, Jacob Wagespack, Wagespack, what? Yeah, uh, Corey Copping and Chad Spanberger. Is is there anybody there who is uh, is going to surprise us or has the potential to surprise us? So I think your best bet here is probably so as far as like major league outcome. Like, useful major league player. Uh, Espinal is probably your best bet just because he has a bunch of positional flexibility. He can hit a little bit. You know, if you can hit a little bit and play three infield positions, and he could probably fake outfield corners too if he needed to. You could be That's Jen Hervis Solarte. Or Brandon Drury. Young, yeah, absolutely. Young yeah, <laughs> is not wildly dissimilar from this profile. Brandon Drury is not wildly dissimilar from this profile. I mean, there's also like 500 dudes in AAA that have this exact same profile <laughs> and are on the shuttle from their affiliate to the majors at, at, at any given time. Uh, you know, Spamberger's interesting, but he's a left-handed first baseman mashing in Asheville, which is an easy place to mash if you're a left-hander with a little bit of pop. You know, especially like a, a college guy. So I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to. Yeah, it's the guy where you can just wait 12 months and see what you have. I don't want to. Uh, yeah. Um, copping is, you know, copping is every like 95 and a slider guy in the upper minor. Like, there's just, there's these dudes just are so existent at every game I go to that it's like it almost becomes difficult to evaluate them. <laughs> Unfortunately, remember, it's not too many Blue Jays games because they don't have anybody well, so, who throws hard. It's not like because not maybe not at the major league level, but I remember sitting on New Hampshire last year and like half the bullpen there was like 95 to 97 with like a fringy to average breaking ball. And it's just like <laughs> lefty, right? It's like, it's like Tim Mesa. It's like, uh, not Chris Smith, not Murphy Smith, the other one. Uh, <laughs> but there's just like Jose, the other Jose Fernandez. Like these dudes just exist. And it's not like it's just New Hampshire. It's, you can just find these guys. It's like, you want to get one that you like a little bit, like one of your pro scouts likes as a throw in fine. And, um, you know, as, as this archetype goes, copping is about as close to the majors as you're going to get. You know, you, you collect enough of these dudes, one of them turns into an eighth inning guy. Probably not Tim Meza, unfortunately, because he doesn't know where the ball's going. But, you know, it's used to, it's fine. You just get it's, it's It's inventory. And if you get one or two of these guys to work out, now you got a pretty good middle relief core, or you got a stew going, as they say. Uh, the business of baseball. In just baseball. Like, take it, like Jacob Waskapak, who's like, frankly, not a guy I thought would still be starting in the upper minors, but you know, good for him. He's still starting in the upper minors. There you go. All right. right. He's got fastball. He's got a little bit of feel. He's got a pretty good breaking ball. That, like, works. That gets the job done. And thank you for getting the job done. That is the job of running down all of these trade deadline acquisitions for us. Thank you, Jeff Paternostro for stopping by once again and we can check out your stuff of course at Baseball Perspective uh, and your Twitter is at Jeff Paternostro thanks for having me again so easy alright you have a good night
we're back! Like I promised. So, there's a lot to unpack there, I think. It's it's hard to... Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to know what you've just changed in an organization when you've done something wholesale like that. Yeah, I mean, they, they added 10 players, and nine of them were minor leaguers, which is a lot to really take in. Yeah, and, and obviously we are months away from trying to field a starting lineup, you know. Or eight of them, I guess. But yeah. Uh, in in you know spring training even we're, we're months away from that to try and figure out how all this takes shape so yeah I don't, I don't think it indicates what the organization is 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 going to be but it, it is kind of a confusing direction it looks like load up on a bunch of things that might be something plus get a couple guys that can be reliable and give you some flexibility and maybe like trade flexibility you know going into the off season and then i don't know what else it gives you yeah and i think that jeff really hit on a couple of those like we got to see what this guy is he said that a couple times for people for the rest of the season just see what they are in the Toronto organization and so we can get a better sense of where their development level is and you know like you mentioned the flexibility I could see Drury and Giles both being traded not now but you know in the offseason or next year's deadline just because they don't really fit the window so I don't know it'll be very interesting to see what they do so first of all, uh, you did mention Giles, and I think that's that's pertinent because before we go to the listener questions, I'm just going to point out this is this is why Josh maybe is not a major league GM. Bah. Wacky idea. Ken Giles for Roberto Osuna, straight up. That sounds like a terrible trade. <laughs> okay, so that was that was two weeks ago when Nick was on. We recorded this between segments, and I shot it down immediately. Boom. No. no no Ken Giles for Osuna. Why would you do that, Josh? <laughs> but they didn't. No, they didn't. Right? Straight up. <laughs> they, they did not do it straight up. And my reasoning that it was a terrible trade because it made no sense to me to trade Roberto Osuna for another relief pitcher instead of for prospects. And <laughs> at least got two prospects. Yes. And and one of them who's like apparently a pretty good one, as Jeff said, Hector Perez, who could be something decent. Like he could be Osuna. Or well, maybe not Osuna because he doesn't throw strikes, but he could be Ken Giles. So I don't know. I, I, I props to Nick for that because he, he threw that out, and then two weeks later, Jaws was the was the main guy coming back. But well, I think what, one for I one. I think the aspect that Nick might have nailed is the guy with baggage for a guy with baggage problem, which is why Giles was his target. Right at the time, he said, "Well, Ken Giles yeah. has problems with management, upper management. Uh, they might want to move him out, and obviously, Roberto Osuna is a hot potato." They might want to move him out. And I think he was right about that aspect of the trade. That's why he was the, the major league piece in that deal. 100%. If we'd played the whole clip, which is like four minutes long discussion, it was driving Greg crazy because he wanted to move to the next segment. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't get to do that on my schedule when you two are on. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was uh, – he, he was making a lot of sense. I'll, he deserves the credit for that. All right. So shout out to Nick, whom you can follow on the Twitter at Nick Dyka if you're uh, in the guys who play bass and – also talk about baseball it's also his birthday so happy birthday nick oh yeah hey cool happy birthday uh i'm gonna move on from your uh you know little attempt at half do over yeah yeah your semi do over future prediction attempt we're just gonna move <laughs> straight to the questions time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question then how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question, please? Very insightful questions this week. We have some some very deep, deep questions. First, <laughs> Joanna at Hum and Chuck 
uh, well, Joanna Jr. this week, or until Vlad is not a Blue Jay anymore, I, I assume. Uh, her question was, do you think the Jays took a look at Tommy Pham when they were in the Cardinals outfield section of the store last winter when they picked up Grichuk, which obviously there's an aisle you go to for Cardinals outfielders, right? Um, <laughs> and should they have done that? Because Tommy Pham did get moved. Yeah, to the Rays, which... The Rays traded for Tommy Pham, and about 20 minutes later, they traded Chris Archer away, which was bizarre. But, you know, last year, Tommy Pham hit 306 with a 411 on base and a 520 slugging, 23 home runs and 25 steals in just 128 games, and he finished in 11th in the MVP voting. The Jays' big thing this offseason seemed to be trying to add pieces, major league pieces, without giving up very much. You know, they give up Connor Green, who's basically a reliever, minor league reliever, for Grichuk, and then they gave up Oliveras for Solarte, and they gave up almost nothing for Diaz. So it would have taken a lot more to get Tommy Pham then, so I think that's why it didn't make a lot of sense. Whereas he had a bad year, he's having a bad year, so it was easier to trade him. I just wanted, as an aside, to note that on the Major League depth chart for the Tampa Bay Rays today on the official MLB website, the starting pitching box was empty. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because Blake Snell's injured, and they traded uh, Archer, and they didn't have any other starting pitchers. I know that opener experiment, interesting, but still, somebody's got to throw these innings, don't they? Yeah, we're talking about the Jays not having a starter for tomorrow. They don't have a starter ever. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, ball her at baseball. Her asked us a question in GIF form, which uh, is someone from Adventure Time, as I understand it, asking us politely if we would want a hug. <laughs> I assume this is in response to the Twitter question, the Twitter poll that went out where it was a, you know a GIF of Krusty crying while he's saying send in the clowns, which was as you mentioned, we're referencing some of the roster players, but. <laughs> I think we needed this hug a long time ago. I mean, now it's like at least the trade deadline is interesting. Yeah, I needed a hug in May, but that's okay. Uh, belated hugs, better than no hugs at all, is what I always say. Hit me with a question. All right. So uh, this right up our alley. Josh Trites at Traitsy. Are the post-deadline Jays the pre-deadline Cleveland Indians from Major League? What's the head exploding dot gif? The guy who, you know... He's got the stars flying out. Are they? Are they? Uh, are they now as bad as the Cleveland Indians were in Major League pre? Yeah, they. I don't. I don't think they have as much of an island of misfit toys look to them. But they do have an injured third baseman who's an all-star. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They have a catcher who can't run anymore. Uh, and a bad knees. Yeah, who can hit the occasional bomb. Is is. To Oscar Hernandez, there's Serrano. I was going to say, could Oscar Hernandez hit the curveball? I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a weird thought. Um, but there's nobody who throws 100 miles an hour on this team, so there's no wild thing. No, no. We, we traded that guy away. Uh, all right. Paul Vandergrint at P. Vandergrint asks, if there's one thing the Jays know how to do, it's get injured all the time. So what's so bad about clogging the system with infield depth? Well, the bad thing is that they didn't clog the system with infield depth. They clogged the major league roster with it. Ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> and all these guys are the same. And they've got Vlad coming up and Bo Bichette coming up again, as Jeff Paternoster alluded to. But you know, there's not room for all these guys. That's, that's the issue. Yeah, you've only got 25 slots. And apparently you need like 13 pitchers to get through two games in a row. 
Yeah, it's like the Dodgers. The Dodgers have 900 infielders, and I don't really understand. Like, are they playing the whole season with 40 men rosters? It doesn't make a lot of sense. But who knows? At least the Dodgers guys like have platoon stuff. The Jays, they're all the same. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Next question. So these are our last two questions, and ask them in tandem. From Colleen Evans, why the bullpen games? Can we not grab someone off waivers or from the independent league to start? Well, they did grab someone. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> We're not even, they're not even good at that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to start instead of worrying about the arms over our relievers. And then from Gideon, will, do, will Drew Hutchison be a Blue Jay by the time this episode is posted? Drew Hutchison was released today. Wow, what uh, from where was he released? I can't remember even where he was playing, to be honest. I think he was with the Phillies. He, he opted out of his minor league deal. Oh, goodbye, Drew. Or maybe hello, Drew. Um, will he be a Blue Jay? Sure. Teams love to take a flyer on a guy who they know something about, right? I think it's worth a shot. Yeah. Actually, might have been the Dodgers minor league system. I think he went over there. But he was pitching well in AAA, 2.14 ERA in the PCL. And, you know, he has had some success in the big leagues. And the Jays just need guys who can pitch. And I don't know, a guy who has some upside seems like worth a shot, right? And he'll, there's definitely an opportunity here. Yeah. Get Aaron Laffey on the phone. <laughs> or maybe. Uh... Well, we talked about Nick Tapish, but uh, yeah. just anybody. They, somebody, they need to get someone who can come in and throw five innings or at so, least you know, try to throw five. Right. In regards to Kali's question, yes, absolutely. They should be doing that. But it's, I, I assume they've been trying to and there's just not any bodies they can get in place fast enough um, to do what they need to do. So I would expect to see some of that going on in the coming week or two. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, thank you for all your questions. They were wonderful as usual. Uh, we also have an interesting little gold star. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've earned it. Do we often highlight former Blue Jays players on the gold star segment? I don't... Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. One-time Blue Jays players... Featured, well, and one one time and one two time Blue Jays player featured in our Gold Star. Amazing. Mm -hmm. So, J Hap, uh, would you tell people why J Hap ended up on the disabled list with the Yankees after one start? Yes, he got hand, foot, and mouth disease. What are the odds of, of anybody getting hand, foot, and mouth disease, period? Like, well, for a child, they're not so bad, but adults are supposed to be really hard. So, but if you're a pitcher in New York, <laughs> <laughs> apparently the odds are not that bad uh, as of now. So Noah Syndergaard, who didn't really have to acknowledge this, but really, you know, stepped up his game, went on Twitter, posted the J-Hap injury report, slash, you know, was sent home with hand, foot, mouth disease. Of course, Syndergaard had hand, foot, mouth disease last week and didn't pitch very well. Um and simply said, the trade no one predicted. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that passing around a disease between the two New York teams is probably the best way to sort of do the Subway Series thing, but uh, <laughs> what, whatever happens, happens. And that wasn't intended to be a hat pun, but you kind of can't avoid them, can you? These days? No, it's really hard. Oh. All right, so a gold star to you, Mr. Syndergaard. Um, we, we do appreciate your sense of humor. 
Do I have any other items on the agenda? Let me let me quickly swing the the agenda. I don't think over. so. I think I think we have we have covered the very strange land of Blue Jays baseball by not talking about any of the games at any length whatsoever. That's how it's going. I mean, we, we yeah we talked about Lourdes and but the actual we I mean, didn't we didn't talk about scores or a play that was other than Lourdes hurting his knee. We didn't talk about any of the baseball aspects because that's how thin it's been out there. They did get swept by the A's. It's over. Uh, they did miss my final thought. They missed another sweep get swept by one game in um, in Chicago. And I was I was so upset about that because this was the perfect pattern for this team. And now they've broken it. Yeah. And there's the first time that they've been swept all like season swept by the A's ever. Wow. That's horrible. Yeah, yeah that's pretty bad. <laughs> okay, your final thought. Back in our 25 and 50 podcast, I got into it a little bit with Nick about Kendrys Morales, who he thought was done, 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 and was never going to hit again. He's up to a 114 OPS plus. You're just trying to get back at him for calling that trade. More Damn right I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, little, but, bit transparent, but that's okay. Still love you. No, no, no. But 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 seriously, like if this isn't a dig at Nick. I'm just kidding around about that part. But it's nice to see him hitting again because you know, if he can do this a bit more and maybe get his numbers even a little bit better if he continues hitting this way through the end of the season, because he was so bad early on, maybe it will become possible to unload the remainder part of remaining part of his salary and free up that roster spot, which would be, you know, it seemed unthinkable, you know, three months ago. We all thought he was going to be released. And now he could he could provide not a tremendous amount of value, but he could add a tremendous amount of flexibility by leaving without costing the full $10 million. I totally get you. Yep. Okay, we talked to Jeff Paternostro earlier, and I, uh, I, I asked him about Vlad Guerrero Jr., and I haven't heard that yet um, for two reasons. One is he literally could not stop talking about Vlad Guerrero Jr. in glowing terms, and it's some really special audio. Number two, uh, it's got some NSFW language in it. <laughs> and, For the and, NSFW prospects. Yeah, the bleep machine, it just started smoking when I was trying to fix all that. So what we're going to do is, uh, for our patrons, we are going to re- release his glowing report on Vlad Guerrero Jr. and the feelings it gives him way down in his insides. Um, as a as a special extra pellets episode. So if you go to www.patreon.com slash turfbod, as little as a dollar a month can get you access to that uh, glowing praise and several other little pieces of audio that we've done in the past um, of, of a general interest nature. So check those out. And uh, other than that, I would say that uh, you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010 and our guest was Jeff Paternostro at Jeff Paternostro. And this was Artificial Turf Wars episode number 112. And we'll talk at you next.